I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on Cannabis Facts and Fiction. It's been more than a year since something a lot of people thought would never happen in New York actually happened. Licensed, legal, retail marijuana sales for adults. And a lot has happened since then. Shops have opened, licenses have been given out, profits have been made, money has gone to the state. And there's also been, though, an undercurrent of unlicensed weed shops that have opened up as well. What we're focusing on in this episode are the licensed shops, the licensing process, and the whole entire spectrum of what that entails, because there's a lot more to this uh, than we've really been let on or that we've really known about. So we're going to find out about it. we got a great panel to break this all down for us. Joining me is Anita Bollet. She's a New York Post reporter. Anita, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also with us is the man who has pretty much been the driving force behind the whole movement and also overseeing everything that has been going on and the development and the concept and really the philosophy behind it, which is what is making New York's program so different from anything else in the country. Chris Alexander, he's the executive director of the New York State Office of Cannabis Management. Chris, thanks so much for being with us again. Great to be back with you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Sasha Nugent. She is the director of cannabis retail for Housing Works Cannabis uh, Company. Housing Works was the first licensed, legally licensed retail location in the state. Sasha, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We really, we really appreciate it. Chris, I want to start with you on this. As you look back, there have been a lot of different battles. There have been, there's been a lot of groundwork. You've had to deal with legislation, the politics, the media, all of these kinds of things. Where do you see the, the progress that's been made this year the most? Yeah, I mean, we've made incredible progress. Um, I know for a lot of viewers, uh, you know, people who've been staying uh, in touch with this issue, been following you and, and the work that you've done and the coverage that you've given uh, the industry, um, it may seem that we are still, uh, you know, really at the inception point. Um, uh, truthfully, um, the work that's been needed to build out uh, the regulatory body, the office, the the people who are overseeing this this market. Um, that is a significant lift. The fact that we've been able to do that while also uh, issuing uh, thousands of licenses, uh, hundreds of licenses within the adult use side and thousands of licenses totally and uh, get uh, almost 50 dispensaries open um, across the state is a, a significant accomplishment. Um, you'll see in other states, you know, they, they took a, a while to get uh, those first new dispensaries. And, and when I say new, I mean uh, not ran by existing operators. Uh, we uh, of course, started our program with small farmers and people who had uh, cannabis convictions and, and nonprofits like the one that Sasha represents. And so uh, we are um, uh, really um, appreciative of the uh, commitment that we've seen from our licensees and our entrepreneurs. It's been difficult. Um, I, I won't I won't uh, shy away from that fact. Uh, but to see these businesses grow, um, these are largely mom and pop businesses. Um, you know, family run. It's it's been a beautiful a beautiful journey. Um, and as we continue the work of expanding the market and getting more licenses out, I think folks will start to see uh, the vision a little bit clearer. All right. And then a, a lot of things you did expect happen, and a lot a lot. Basically, it's is it safe to say you built this up from scratch, completely from scratch? Yeah, yeah, from scratch. I mean, we I, I always joke that we didn't have people, pens, or paper. Um, and now we have uh, over 180 staff and uh, you know, hundreds of licensees, and we brought in you know, you know a little 
a little over 100 million, about 150 now for the first year of, of sales, starting with the first sale that Sasha actually sold to me um, on December 29th. All right. Sasha, for, for you uh, running the store, running the dispensary, I should call it, what has this year been like for you? Um, it has been extremely busy. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work. Um, and we've all, my entire team, including myself, has learned so much about the cannabis industry. And something that I want people who are planning to open dispensaries in the future to take away is that this is retail. It's New York retail. You want to provide the customer a really good experience. And I also think that Chris's work and the OCM has been super helpful. They've been really responsive to anything that we've needed. And um, yeah, it's just been an, an exciting journey for us. <laughs> and, and Anita, you've written on, on some of the, uh, the industry itself and then also covered some of the developments with it as well. Where do you see things, especially with the demand that's, that there's this tremendous unsatisfied demand out there that has led to these um, unlicensed smoke shops opening up? What do you see happening overall? So Lisa, um, just building off what Chris and Sasha were saying, there is this incredible demand, absolutely. Um, and we have seen about 47 legal vendors opening up across the state, 17 within the city. However, this kind of pales in comparison to what we're seeing um, happening in the illegal or black market trade. We've got about 1,500 and estimated maybe even 2,000 um, illegal vendors within the city. And, you know, Assemblywoman uh, Jennifer Rajkumar recently said it could be 3,600 across the state. Um, given the fact that there is this, uh, you know, black market that has been surfacing, uh, a lot of people say it's because there was a bit of a, you know, a glacial uh, start to the licensing process. Um, there needs to be more of a crackdown or a, a look towards how to to stop this so that all the vendors that we're seeing in the New York state are legalized and are going through the correct processes for the industry to continue, you know, momentum. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the city and the state are both looking to do that. You know, they're looking at the Smoke Out Act and, you know, the state recently, uh, the governor supported this and they're giving more, um, uh, you know, they're expanding the, the kind of jurisdiction that the OCM and law enforcement can have to finally, you know, close these illegal vendors up. Right. And they have, there have been some, when we come back, I want to get into more about the difference and, and what, what the benefits are of people of going to a legal dispensary. And Chris, I know I was on one of the, uh, what, one of the operations with the New York City Sheriff and the o OCM inspectors, and there is work being done in that area. But let's talk about that when we come back. Stay with us. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah. What up, what up, what up? This is Styles P, the Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers on Cannabis Facts and Fiction. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Joining us for this conversation, Anita Bolle. She's a New York Post reporter. Chris Alexander, he's the executive director um, for the Office of Cannabis Management. He's been the driving force between legalizing the dispensaries and setting up the system. Also with us is Sasha Nugent. She's a director of cannabis retail for Housing Works Cannabis Company. Chris, you you stood before the New York State Senate, the, the New York State Assembly, about a lot of questions about the number of licenses that currently exist. What do you tell people about that? who say it's been so slow that these illegal shops have just popped up. 
Well, I've got, I mean, I, I think I first want to bring people back to reality, um, acknowledging uh, two things. One, uh, that, you know, we have taken a, a, we've made a decision to take a certain approach here in New York. Um, what people see in other states, uh, generally when they call uh, or speak of speed of regulatory action, uh, it is a, just a giving of the market to the existing operators. Uh, when you do that, sure, it's easy to say uh, that we moved quickly uh, to open businesses. The truth of the matter is, uh, if you actually look at uh, states across the country and when they opened new businesses, uh, that timeline was around two years. Um, and we actually were able to license our first cultivators uh, within six months of my appointment. And so, you know, if we're, if we're talking about pace, you know, let's put it into perspective. Um, and of course, we did and issued our first 700 licenses uh, without uh, relying on existing operators and, and creating new small businesses and in many cases, saving even small family farms. Um, I agree fully. There is a, a significant uh, presence um, of illegal cannabis shops. And this is not, as I've said, you know, oftentimes this happens in every state. It's just bigger because this is New York, right? Now. Of course, everything's bigger. <laughs> Um, uh, but I, I think too, um, you know, even as we talk about pace of closures, um, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, my, my team, uh, the New York City Sheriff's Office, uh, other, uh, entities across the state have tried to, uh, curtail this proliferation. Um, these are, this is a new thing. And when I say a new thing, I don't mean the illegal sale of cannabis that's gone on forever. Um, what I mean is the the storefronts and combining the fact that this uh, has been a significant change in policy for the state with the fact that we've also shifted away from uh, law enforcement uh, being the leading force in regulating or, or shutting down these uh, uh, these businesses committing this financial crime. Uh, we're now trying to fit in many ways. Uh, we're trying to square the circle, right? We've got um, a activity that was previously illegal. The previous enforcement body was entirely uh, law enforcement. Um, now we're taking an administrative approach and having an administrative agency, uh, my agency, um, OCM, uh, be the ones to lead enforcement efforts. Now, we've had success in, in seizures. Uh, we've had challenges in closures. And I want to be clear about that as well, because I know folks have seen OCM uh, and tax department officials uh, taking all the product out of these shops and then just for them to open up in a couple of days later. And so uh, what uh, Anita was speaking to just to, uh, in the last segment, um, uh, we are trying to find ways to close these shops faster. The legislature gave us some powers to um, uh, to go through a state Supreme Court and to get court order issued padlocking done. Um, that process is lengthy. And so uh, we're, um, the governor has announced that we're looking to uh, expedite those closures while the seizure work is still going on because we believe that you know at the center and the core of this is uh, public health concerns related to uh, uh, these products that largely in many cases are products that fail testing out of the states and are being shipped over uh, uh, to to us so no and taking yeah no we're taking action um uh, I, I wish it was faster and of course um you know I know uh, that folks want to see uh, more legal stores and less illegal ones and that's the sole focus of the agency right now Exactly. And, and I want to get into that more about the, the, the benefits of the legal ones. But let me just ask you, the proposal has been made to give the give New York City authorities the ability to padlock some of these illegal shops as a, co a court order would do, which, as you said, takes a long time to do. Do you think that is part of the would, would be a viable solution without you know padlocking the shops without necessarily making a lot of arrests and, and recriminalizing people? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, these are financial crimes, as I said, right? So, uh, you know, when a business is not operating compliantly, um, they lose the ability to operate as a business. And I think we have, of course, different variables or, or variations of this uh, activity. We've got uh, the bodegas that are uh, adding cannabis to uh, their venues. Yeah. We've got uh, the clubs and lounges, and then we have the folks operating straight up as dispensaries, right? And each of those kind of has a different needs to have a different approach uh, from a regulatory perspective uh, to uh, to close them down. And and that's what the focus is really on making sure that we are throwing all tools uh, and all resources at this problem and uh, incorporating the locals as much as possible because you know as I said we've been building this agency uh, for the last two years we we are still the newest state agency so the capacity that uh, exists in other places uh, is not here yet but uh, with local participation we can they can be a force multiplier and they can help us uh, expand the market. All right, Sasha, give us a sense of um, for people who go into the housing works dispensary, what what do they encounter? And um, who's who's able to go in? Is it what's the age limit? Give us give us the basics for people that have never been in, been in there. Uh, so when you go to a legal dispensary, um, specifically Housing Works Cannabis Co., you're going to be greeted by a security guard who is actually going to check your ID, make sure that you're over the age of 21 or 21 and up. Um, also in our window, there's a licensed New York State sticker that says we're a licensed dispensary with the state. And for us, we want the experience to be really interactive with our butt tenders. Our butt tenders are highly trained. They're very knowledgeable on- You call, wait, hold on a second. You call them butt tenders? They're butt tenders, just like a body tender. Yep. They serve exactly what the customer is looking for. They're very knowledgeable. They're friendly. They're open. And um, I think that that sets us apart from, you know, the illicit market. You're not going to get that experience. Also, when they're leaving with their product, they're receiving a receipt. Should anything go wrong with their product, if, you know, maybe the vape stops pulling, you're able to make an exchange or return with us with that receipt. That's something that you're not able to do in the black market. And then in terms of in terms of the quality, in terms of the potency, mm -hmm. how do people know about that? People can scan the QR codes that are located on all of our products um, to get the THC potency, to get, you know, any, uh, they're called COAs, which are basically labs that uh, prove that the product has been tested. There's no um, mold and no illicit things in the, in the cannabis that they're purchasing with us. And then are, are the products, are the products mostly made in New York state or what about that? They're all in New York, they're all New York made. That's actually a requirement to be carried in a legal dispensary. It's all New York flour. And that's really great because it goes back into our economy and the New York, you know, it, it uplifts New Yorkers. <laughs> and then is there any kind is there is there any kind of like stamp on the packaging that is made in New York or Yeah. It has a New York logo, the New York State symbol is on it. Um and it, it's definitely made in New York. So those are the things that people can look for. So definitely. Anita, the safety issue has been a, a, a big one because it has also been resulted in complaints, especially from a lot of parents with these smoke shops in the neighborhoods where they're selling these these various products, some of them in, in made, made to look like bags of candy or bags of chips or or snacks or that type of thing. A lot of concern about the legitimacy and the, da the, the health danger. What can you tell us about that? So, um, you know, as Chris and Sasha both said, you know, there is quite a demand for the product. I mean, we saw $150 million worth of sales this year, which is absolutely um, showing that the industry or the legal industry is thriving. However, you know, we can't shy away from the realities of the illegal market, which is because they're not 
dealing with the same obligations of the regulatory market. Um, supply is unknown in some cases, and we do know of you know some California companies who've been accused of backdooring to other states. So while you know knowing where the product is coming from and having the education around the product is something that legal vendors are doing. This cannot be said for the illegal markets. And this is posing, you know, a risk, as you said, to children who are being sold to and, you know, parents who might not have the education around where they're putting their supply in homes. Um, you know, in saying that, the legal vendors are doing the best that they can. I've spoken to some others other than Sasha who have said, that they're trying to educate their customers, they're trying to look at options such as lock boxes, so that you know products that are uh, do look like you know candy or might be misinterpreted by someone who uh, hasn't seen a product like that, um, they're able to keep it out of the hands of children. And I think that you know those steps are being taken, but we can't shy away from the fact that there is still um, a lot of work that needs to be done. No, absolutely. Chris, in terms of the farming part of it, that that was also a big piece of the New York, uh, you know, the, the way that you set it up here in New York that was that was different from a lot of other states was that you wanted everything grown here. How are the farmers doing or how or what are we calling them? How is that going? Yeah. So no, I, in the city grow here. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely, um, you know, every state. So just a clarification, every every state uh, as federal prohibition is still in place, every state has to grow and produce its own. Uh, cannabis. What I what I would point to is the fact that we uh, took that different approach of making sure that the New York's uh, small farmers, uh, largely family farms, uh, were the ones who grew cannabis first, right? To make sure that we're able to transition uh, our agriculture sector, who has been hurting uh, for some time, and give them this new opportunity um, uh, to keep and 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 really give some economic activities to some of those upstate communities. Uh, and Long Island, actually, there's a lot of a lot of good producers on Long Island as well. Um, so they've uh, they've had some challenges um, uh, based on the fact was slowed by litigation and and other things. And so uh, what is most important, I think, for for them right now is the learning experience that they've had these last two years of uh, being the first suppliers. A lot of them now are able to transition. Uh, they grew largely outside. They're able to transition out to uh, greenhouses or, or indoor facilities. Uh, which will give them a more consistent and reliable uh, um, uh, product and growing experience. And so uh, we're really excited about the work that they've done. Um, the products that we have in New York are, are outstanding, but um, it definitely, with the strangling of the supply chain by you know delayed rollout and, and dispensaries, uh, the farmers were hurting. And so one thing that we're really focused on moving forward is, is just making sure, you know, supply chain has to operate. You know, it's like a hose. And if you if you squeeze a part of it, everybody's going to hurt. And so uh, getting these dispensaries open is our number one priority. I just wanted to highlight, as Sasha was saying, uh, the uh, symbol uh, that you'll see on legal products. Um, this is just a sample uh, product that we had marked up here in the office. But um, we do have um, a really high quality. We also established testing standards and certify labs to, to do the testing. And that was also a part of the rollout work. And I'm really pleased again with the work that's been done and, and the products that we've been able to produce here. No, and I think that I think the safety is a, is a big, uh, you know, is a big, a big concern for a lot for a lot of people. Uh, when we come back, we're going to find out, are there going to be more dispensaries opening up? Who's eligible to apply to open one? We're going to find out about that 
When we come back, stay with us. What it do, what it do, man. It's your boy Roscoe Dash. And this is The Street Soldier with Lisa Evers, man. Real issues, real politics, real people. Only on Hot 97. Let's do it. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about cannabis, facts, and fiction here in New York State. Joining me for this conversation, Anita Bollet. She's a New York Post reporter. Chris Alexander, he's the executive director of the New York State Office of Cannabis Management. He's basically been the architect of the dispensaries that we see, the system and the licensing system, and also the mission behind it as well. Also joining us, Sasha Nugent. She's a director of cannabis retail for Housing Works Cannabis Company. Sasha, in terms of the mission, because this is, yes, it's a dispensary, but there's also a bigger purpose. And, and Housing Works, as we know, for many, many years here in New York City, has provided a, a tremendous amount of critical uh, social services, especially to underserved communities. Well, yes, Housing Works has been around for over 30 years, and we do serve people who are marginalized, specifically affected by HIV, AIDS, and homelessness. And one of our missions in opening this dispensary was generating more revenue for our pro for our, um, programs. So 100% of what you purchase, all our proceeds go directly back into our programs. So that's housing, healthcare, and job training for New Yorkers who are in need. So it's an act like you're being an activist by shopping with us. And I just wanted to like make sure everybody knew that in New York. But people know that that it's going that's going it's going to continue the good works. Not that there's anything wrong with making people rich, but it's it's just that this is an added an added bonus. Uh, yes, exactly. Anita, what do you think about that? The the purpose behind this. I think that um, I think that obviously the legal vendors are doing everything they can to to do things the right way to cultivate this, for lack of a better term, market that we're seeing in New York. Um, however, I I think it's interesting um that because the demand is so high that there are so many um you know illegal vendors out there i guess my question is to the legal vendors how they're able to retain that customer base to to allow for that you know good progress in the legal market given the the demand and given the fact that customers sometimes are turning to these other um, avenues because it's cash based sometimes member based sometimes also a lot more cheap and costly. I mean, it's a much more cost-efficient way to to get a product. I mean, how Sasha, what about that? Are you, do you have like repeat customers? Do you guys, do you deliver? Do you do like, how can you get it by mail? You know? Yeah, so we, we can't mail it out yet. Not yet, unless Chris tells us we can. But at this point, we do deliver. Um, and one thing that I'm noticing is that we have 60% return customers. So our return customers are very strong. They like what we do here. They like the experience. Um, I think there's a peace of mind with shopping at a legal dispensary that you don't get in other, in you know, the illicit market. And one thing I'm noticing is that our customers are a little bit older. They're, they're, their age range is all over the place, but honestly, they're middle-aged and older. So I would say 35 and up are our, our customer base. And we haven't had an issue with retaining them. And I also think our sales are pretty strong in 2023, despite the illicit markets blossoming around us. Yeah, and I, I can add there, um, Lisa. We've, you know, obviously we've um, studied this both in the state and across the country, and the the the, the variables uh, that you know came into play as we you know wrote the law and designed the market are playing themselves out uh, in a in a pretty clear way here. I mean, product variability uh, is huge um, for our. Uh, our legal vendors, our, our retailers, uh, they do largely have a lot of different types of products, different brands, 
Um, and you'll find some of that in the in the illicit stores. Uh, but what you'll also have on top of the product variability and the types of different forms uh, is is that consumer trust, right? To having that COA, that certificate of analysis, knowing that it was grown in the state, knowing that it was tested for pesticides and contaminants and heavy metals, uh, it's comforting. And then the one thing that we were very sensitive about that we didn't know how it would play out uh, is the price point. Um, right now, uh, the price point on the illicit mar- in the illicit market uh, for most products and the products that we have in the, in the regulated market, uh, they're comparable. And so um, that's not always going to be the case. Uh, just to be very clear, there's always a, a uh, price declines and, and the cannabis market can, can be volatile at times. Uh, but right now, and for the last year at least, uh, the price point has been strong. And so it's been competitive. And so our operators have seen um, uh, not in every case, but in, in, in a lot of cases, uh, illegal stores uh, next to them not be able to sustain and see them change owners or, or move you know away a little bit um, and then reopen. And so uh, it's going to be a competition thing um, uh, as well as uh, you know increased efforts by the state to, to close them down. Of course, prioritizing around our, our legal businesses, which has been the strategy uh, of of the illegal operators open next to a legal business and then you know try to drive some customer base. Uh, but since the prices are comparable and you have a trusted source here, it doesn't always pan out that way. There are some outliers, but um, in a lot of cases, it's been uh, leading the way of the regulated businesses. Really, so if you don't mind me jumping oh, in, go out of you, Chris, you you're saying that um, you know the the prices are comparable. However, um, the OCM is still yet to provide. Um, actual concrete figures on how much revenue is being, um, you know, created by the illicit market. Um, there is no regulation around, you know, the stores being brought up. There, there's no regulation or knowing how much um, some of these stores are actually um, putting their products for. So, you need to, how could they? How how would, yeah. they, how would they know an illicit? How much an illicit market is bringing in anyway? Of like, course, they're not. They're not filing. They're not filing paperwork or tax returns. Absolutely, and that's why I'm asking how you can know that the pricing is comparable. How can you know that customers aren't getting a lower price if there is no regulation around, you know, how many stores there are and who? I mean, who's where the stores are being popped up, and and how can you know the pricing between an illegal market and one that's going through? The, the correct illegal like avenues. Yeah, that- no, when I when I speak of pricing, I'm talking about individualized products, right? Like the the price of an eighth or the price of a vape, um, uh, which are widely uh, advertised by the illicit operators. So not hard to find out uh, the price. Of course, we we don't have visibility into their total revenue. I I know that a lot of illegal stores, particularly in areas where we don't have legal stores, are doing well, making a lot of cash. Uh, I'm not pushing back on that point. Just on the price of individual products, as we look in, you know, we go into illegal stores every day, and so uh, as we see, we take their menus, we take their price charts, so we do see how much they're charging. Now, of course, they could vary from that in an individual interaction, but based on what's being advertised, uh, it is comparable. Chris, what about the what about the rollout of more licenses? Explain to us for that, you know, how how that's working now and how it's differing from if it is from from what you started with initially. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had always planned to have, uh, you know, a, what we call kind of special licensing programs with open opportunities for licensure. And so uh, the first program that uh, Housing Works and others were licensed through in all of our initial dispensaries actually was the Conditional Adult Use Retail Dispensary Program. 
Uh, that program has been stalled twice by litigation, um, basically challenging the the right of the state to prioritize people based on having a conviction. Um, and so, you know, there's been some some roadblocks there. But uh, as the most recent injunction has been lifted, um, you know, we're seeing a lot a pickup of folks who had continued to do work in the background. Um, and so at the time of the injunction, I think we had maybe 20 or so uh, stores uh, or retail uh, operations running. Um, and now we're just short. We're just shy of 50 at, at like 47. And so uh, that's just due in the last month or so as folks had, you know, uh, uh, been doing background work, doing build out, establishing their brands, building their teams, and now uh, just getting final clearance from the office to open. We have a lot of folks in that position. Uh, who've done build out and are just uh, waiting to to finalize things. And so I'm really excited over the next couple of months as we see uh, those initial 463 retail licensees get open. Uh, what we've also done uh, in uh, October, um, and that ran from October to December, where we opened our first general licensing period where we offered uh, new licenses to you know anybody, no uh, uh, eligibility criteria requirement around that conviction. But um, that program is also being challenged but it's an open program to anybody from anywhere who wants to operate in the state. Um, we had initially anticipated kind of giving out around a thousand or so retail licenses between 500 and a thousand. And so we're going through the applications right now. Um, uh, we're excited to start issuing these new licenses um, uh, as soon as the end of this month and, and uh, into next month and, and the rest of the first quarter of the year. Um, and those uh, initial retailers that will license are actually folks who also have um, uh, established locations that they already had under their control. That gives us a chance to even jumpstart more um, uh, uh, dispensaries getting open in the state, which again, uh, to Anita's point, gets to the issue of these uh, all these illegal shops. So we have uh, the, illegal, the, the illegal shops. Sasha, in, in terms of in terms of your customers coming in, do you have people coming in from out of town also? Can pe can tourists come in and buy? Um, tourists can shop with us, um, but they cannot leave the state with the product, like it's illegal to do that. They can shop with us. Um, we scan passports, we scan driver's licenses as well. And I wanted to touch on delivery again. We do offer delivery throughout the New York State, uh, sorry, throughout New York City. And um, we you get your delivery within an hour or so. Mm -hmm. All right, so so like that. Um, Anita, in, in terms of, there have been some proposals for crackdowns on the illegal shops. Tell us about that. That's right. Um, we've. In seeing the the mayor, um, he was saying that he's been in touch with uh, a lot of landlords where they've seen the illegal um, vendors, you know, popping up, and they're issuing, you know, warnings for fines and penalties. Um, Assemblywoman Jennifer Rajkumar recently proposed the Smoke Out Act, which will mean that the OS, OM, oh, sorry, OCM and law enforcement will have more ability to crack down and padlock these venues. Um, and the state just recently backed that and are building upon that. And I think that, you know, despite all the hurdles, if those are seen, then we could probably see the the legalized cannabis um, industry booming. All right. We're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. What it do? This Kevin Gates, and right now I'm kicking it with Lisa Evers. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about cannabis facts and fiction here in New York State and New York City, of course. Joining us for this conversation, Anita Bollet. She's a reporter with the New York Post. Chris Alexander, he's the executive director for the Office of uh, Cannabis Management. Also with us is Sasha Nugent. She's a director of cannabis retail for the Howley Works Cannabis 
uh, company. Uh, Chris, the the enforcement issue, the getting, the dealing with the uh, de- dealing with these unlicensed operators. Would you support what the mayor and what some of the other lo- local elected officials have said? As they say, give us the power to padlock, you know, to padlock these stores if there's evidence that they've broken the law or violated the law, and we we can shut them down. Or is that just too? How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I won't speak to any particular legislation. I think the broader statement, though, is, you know, we have, and to frame for folks, I mean, uh, we have now uh, just started this journey of trying to build out this new industry and this new regulator market. Uh, we noticed uh, an issue with the, these illegal shops and, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, law enforcement, uh, wasn't initially engaging, uh, and they required some additional education from from our office and others about how they would engage in this law in this world beyond uh, prohibition. Um, we put forward some powers so that the state uh, and particularly OCM has an ability to take action. Uh, those are being revisited, and they need to be revisited because they're not as efficient as they could be. And so, I just want to kind of clarify as we talk about new proposals. Um, uh, this is the work, right, of, of developing solutions. You've got to see what works and see what's effective, what's not, and, and fine tune. And I think um, the governor has spoken to to that. Um, I think legislators are also eager to see some action taken. Um, I've received calls from from those across the state uh, uh, every day, and so I'm I'm interested in fine tuning because I'm seeing from an operational perspective, it's not as efficient as it could be, um, even though it did expand on what was uh, really a, a vacuum uh, in terms of what we could do to enforce the NC shops. So uh, a lot more work to be done. I look forward to um, kind of seeing what happens as as uh, the legislative process works works on itself. But um, from our side, operationally, we're going to continue season product, right? That's our mandate. We want to create access to safer, tested product. We believe that these uh, products are largely contaminated. And so that activity has never stopped since we came into uh, into existence. We've been doing that. Um, but we have, of course, had um, some issues with the closures, which is what we're trying to speed up now. And then, what in, in terms of in terms of speeding up the closures? Because w- when I was out with the uh, w- with the uh, New York City Sheriff and with some of the OCM inspectors, it's like they're looking to see if there, you know, there were violations in terms of, you know, the the paperwork, the permits, that type of thing, and then also seizing seizing these products. Do you think that process could be sped up? The closure, well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, we we need more people. Um, I think we've, you know, the partnerships that we have with local governments have been helpful. Um, but we, as I said, we we started as a brand new state agency, so we definitely need more people. We've had an, an amazing partnership with the Department of Tax and Finance, um, with the New York City Sheriff's Office, and and other agencies across the state. But uh, there's a lot of shops, and so it and it takes time to seize all that product, and so uh, more people is definitely helpful. Um, but in the meantime, we are definitely just continuing that activity uh, bit by bit across the state. And as we open more legal shops as well, that's also, uh, you know, the best uh, defense is also a great offense. And so we're trying to push that uh, that ball on the court as well. Sorry for all the support. Yeah, please. <laughs> okay, Sasha, in ter- tell, tell, us, tell us in terms of expansion, what do you guys plan on doing? Um, we hope to expand uh, in the in the near future. We definitely want to open more re- retail dispensaries, um, and we do want to offer job training for those who are criminally um, incarcerated for cannabis in the past. And we do have those programs right now where where I currently manage. 
And we do have a lot of people who have been cannabis, who have cannabis convictions who are now part of our management team. So we're really, really proud of that. And we just want to continue giving back. And, and help helping out the community. Anita, you have questions about the inspectors. Yeah, so um, we were told by sources that there was uh, funding for about 60 inspectors by, for the OCM, but only a dozen have been out. Is that going to be changing as the year goes on? Yeah, we've just been staffing up. I mean, that's been uh, it's a part of the challenge of a new agency. You know, we're creating our, our own uh, um, staff lines, our own uh, title series on the civil service. So um, for those who are familiar with how state government works, it, it is a bit of a process to uh, to staff up. But we have been doing that aggressively. And again, as I said, the best force multiplier is the local partnerships that we have um, uh, because it allows us to you know do more with less. Uh, and, and we've seen good, again, this New York City Sheriff, I can't say enough about Sheriff Miranda and what he's done and what his team has done to support. Um, they're also under resourced, but uh, they were definitely a, a great um, initial partner as we started these actions, and and uh, the Department of Tax and Finance has been great uh, since then. But we need the locals. Um, it's it's just there's too much, there's too many stores, the too many stores stores to go around. Okay, uh, Sasha, final final word for uh, any potential customers for you. Um, for potential con- customers, come on down. We're open 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. Um, and I do want to tell just a little tidbit about the customer shopping trends. Most people in New York do love sativas. Flower is our number one category where we sell, and edibles is a close second. So. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right, great. Anita, what will you be keeping your eye on as a, as a reporter this year on this whole issue? Watching closely. I'll be watching um, whether the legislation goes through, how enforcement's going to be you know, put in place. And, you know, I've had a, a few sources of like, uh, customers who have actually not known the difference between what is an illegal pot vendor and what is a legal one. So it would be interesting to see how those issues are kind of curbed throughout the year. Because, um, you know, as you know, um, a lot of people don't have the same foresight as we do or the the intel that we do when it comes to this issue. And sometimes unknowingly, unwittingly, we'll go to a store not realizing that it's not legal. No, that's a good point too. Because Chris, this is not like somebody, you know, somebody on the corner. A lot of people think because it's an actual store, especially some of the new ones, they're very fancy, that it's got to be legit. Uh, what yeah, you- I've heard the same complaints. And uh, what we did um, uh, in response was launch a, a pretty uh, significant public education campaign called Why Buy Legal. We launched this last year and it was all focused on giving folks the tips uh, needed to identify legal stores. For example, we have a verification tool that sits on the outside of every legal dispensary uh, in the state. If a, if a business does not have it, they are not legal. Uh, that's That verification tool also has a QR code that's scannable that you can you know use to determine if the location that you're standing in front of is a, a legal business. Um, and of course, you know, the, the, just the experience of being in a store uh, is a very different one. Uh, what the folks down uh, with Sasha's team does uh, at Housing Works and the other dispensers across the state, it's a very different shopping experience. You also won't see uh, those products that are being obviously marketed to to children, you know, the the knockoff uh, candies that are familiar to them. I mean, none of that is allowed in our program. Um, and so, you know, it, it is, there are, there are, you know, the tells that are pretty um, uh, um, uh, overt if you, if you're aware. Uh, but I think the best thing for folks to use is that verification tool. And of course, folks can go to our website, cannabis.ny.gov, to get a listing of um, of all the legal businesses that are currently open. And again, there's a lot more coming 
And I actually have a copy of the verification tool here. Sorry for the light background, but uh, this is essentially what you'll see on the outside uh, of a dispensary um, that lets you know that they are licensed by the state to do the activity that they're doing. So if people, no matter how fancy the store looks, and some of them are, are very fancy, there's a lot of chrome and a lot of glass cases and neon lights and things, unless they have that in the window, it's not a legal store. Exactly. And that's it. All right. On that point, I want to thank all of you for being with us. Uh, for this episode of Street Soldiers, Anita Bole from the New York Post, Chris Alexander, Executive Director for the Office of Cannabis Management, Sasha Nugent, Director of Cannabis Retail for Housing Works Cannabis Company. Thank you guys so much for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. Hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.